Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahochko, and uh, my co-host and friend and fellow Husker fan, and holy shit, that's the first time I've said that since Brian was on the show. Hold on. I'm on. It's going to take me a minute to recover from that. That's how we always started the show. Uh, it, it worded slightly different. I think it was fellow Husker fan, broadcast partner, and and friend. Anyway, that that uh, I hope that doesn't set the tone, but but certainly uh, uh, you know all the feels right there at the beginning. Uh, regardless, Hoss Reuter, good talking to you again, buddy. Good to be here, and I'm honored to have the uh, the distinction of such an open reserve formerly for Brian. So what's up? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, It is Thursday night, which means that the weekend is almost here. And uh, you know this and probably everybody knows, but we usually record on Friday nights. But uh, we've got other things going on Friday night. So uh, we're going to... Huh? That we do? Yes, we do. I don't know what you have planned. I have plans. So um, so we're... No comment. Uh, you, you're pleading the fifth, and I'm not going to bother asking the question, so it works out well. Um, so you're getting this a day early, everybody. Uh, congratulations. And should we should we give them the news yet, Hoss, or should we wait a little bit since we didn't talk about it at all in in the in the pregame in the pre-recording in the um, in the green room, so to speak? Should we should we fill them in on what we have planned for the football season, or should we? Should we let him? Should we simmer on that one just a little bit more? Let's simmer on that one. Let's uh, let's build a little anticipation. Okay, good. And and I'm relying on your memory because we all know mine's garbage. Uh, We haven't already discussed that on the show, have we? We have not. Okay, good. It was behind. It was in the uh, green room as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, We are joined. Yeah, yeah. We 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 don't have to follow through with it until we say it on the podcast. So. we are joined this week for the cross-examination. The firm is back, the firm of Haas and Hooch. And I'm going to... Outspoken, passionate, many other adjectives describe him. But you can also put a noun in front of there, and that's doctor. Dr. Salt Creek and Stadium. Welcome your first ever appearance on the five heart podcast we would have to go back into the uh, podcast archives of corn nation way back to detasseling the huskers with myself and brian toll uh welcome to this show salt hello <laughs> I, I, I was i was kind of hoping for more there but i'll you take hoping it. for more what, what do you not remember my last appearance on this show that's pretty much what i gave you uh, it, I think so we, I'm pretty sure my first appearance on this show I was Cobby. So you you know what that's possible. Now I'm pretty sure. now that that cat is out of the bag, um, 
Well, I'm not Kabi anymore, obviously. I'm a uh, doctor. Doc and not Dr. Kabi. Dr. Kabi. Oh um, god. Let's not get let's not let him get that level. He would never make it through that much schooling. He I would, mean, I, I got through. Yeah, but while you were brewing your own beer, he would be, you know, building and burning down a distillery. So maybe one yep. of the ones that Ty highlighted last week on his uh summer Nebraska booze series. So just saying. Uh welcome to the show, man. It's great to be here. See that that's what, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for some oh. enthusiasm, some excitement, not hi. But it, it, I digress. Um, but before we start, we did mention alcohol. Uh, Haas, we know what you're drinking. Yes, sir. Good old Coors Banquet. And Salt, as I mentioned, you do some home brewing, uh, but you're not drinking a home brew tonight. What are you drinking not tonight? tonight? <laughs> T- tonight I have a uh, Terrapin Brew Company, which is from a nice place in Athens, Georgia, um, I'm drinking their uh, Imperial India India Pale Ale IPA because you know I have taste. Um, cumulus Lupulus. It's a it's a very nice beer. Nice and resiny. Out, out of curiosity, what's the IBUs on that IPA? Oh, I'm sure it's high. Yeah. Let's see. 101. I, oh my god. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. It's uh, a little bitter, Huss. It's just a little bit bitter. Oh, they even oh, have okay. they have the flavor notes if you would like. Um, it is citrus, tropical, mango, passion fruit, kiwi, and juicy. juicy. I like Rocky to just say Mountain it's good. Water. What what was that, Hoss? I like Rocky Mountain wheat and water. I'm a man of simple taste. <laughs> Offensive line play, brunettes, you know, just chewing tobacco, you know, real simple taste. It most of the beers that I drink uh, these days are a, a bottle but this particular one I, I haven't been able to do this on the show maybe ever but that that's a good sound right there um hey, and mine came out of a can too and mine is a local <laughs> beer uh from the town of my current uh, uh living situation uh in drinking a Budweiser, aren't you? no i'm drinking from belleville illinois ah. and main street brewing company it's uh it's called off duty it's an american lager um it is the the tagline on this is serving those who serve us 4.2 percent uh abv and what i like about this is uh they do uh donate a portion of the proceeds of this particular beer uh to nonprofits supporting first responders uh be it uh, police fire or uh, paramedic emts so i uh, had not tried it bought it at the store last weekend and it, it is Good full flavored lager, American lager. Um, obviously, more so than what you'd find in in the mass breweries uh, like Anheuser Busch and Miller, etc. So, I like it. It's a good one. Now that we right. have, oh, we're all liquored up. We're and and, and, and and we're going to get uh, a little bit more as we go in. Um, before we get to the cross examination, we have had a little bit of news, which it, you know is kind of rare for the dead period here. Um, but it was announced or revealed, however you want to phrase it, uh, this past week that a certain former Husker and former Husker coach is back with uh, the program. Haas, you want to take it from there? Yeah, the uh, 
former Woody coach here in his entire tenure. Running backs, former I believe, wide right? receivers, tight ends, and running backs coach Ron Brown. He's back as director of player development, or was it player personnel? I can't remember what I read this morning. But, um, yeah, that's personnel. It's kind of like recreating Camelot a little bit, you know? It's no secret that I was not uh, rec- recognizing, or I wasn't aware, maybe is the best word, uh, of uh, Brown during his playing days. My best memory, if you will, of Ron Brown, uh, and and I think you know it's certainly the one that probably sticks in most uh, you know Husker fans as far as recent memory would be go back a few years. I think 2012 uh, when the Jerry Sandusky thing. Uh, really opened up at Penn State, and uh, Joe Paterno was fired, and there was the the midfield gathering of of both teams before the game. I mean, they were considering you know canceling the game, and or you know, however, uh, you know, they were going to play it out. But but the teams ended up playing. Of course, Nebraska won that game, and uh, beforehand, usually, I don't think you know networks give this much attention, but uh, uh, Ron Brown did uh, lead a, a, like an impromptu two-team prayer right there at midfield, which is, you know, that, that's not something that, you know, uh, cameras usually focus on. So that, that was that was nice to see. That, that's, you know, the, the best memory that I have of, of Ron Brown. Um, what, what's your guys' take on, on him coming back to the program? Salt, you want to lead off with this one? dick (laughs) so i have reservations to say put it lightly um mostly because of his and not really this really has nothing to do with ron brown directly um ron brown is who he is he's a very devout christian he's very very devoted to his faith and i i it's it's impressive to see i think it's great that people embrace their religion that much. The problem I have, and the problem that persists, is that he's unapologetic about it, and when he decided to go before the Omaha City Council, he did so indicating, without distancing himself from the university. Now, since then, he has done a better job of doing that, and that's something to be commended that he's learned from it. But, the problem still persists because Nebraska has had problems recently with um, freedom of speech and so forth and freedom of religion on campus. And I'm not quite confident that the university has nothing to do with Ron Brown, the athletic department, Scott Frost, any of that. It's all about I'm not confident that our university, who just went through a big fight with the state government um, under the control of Ricketts and all the others, like they almost lost a significant amount of funding because of their response to the conservative student and the grad student and their interaction, which was inappropriate on all levels and whatever. And however you want to take that, there was just it was a huge mess. And the university responded to it absolutely horribly. And then they turned around and there was a student, the Nazi student on campus. And the response to that was not exactly up to par for the current environment. And now you're basically inviting a guy who's just going to invite a lightning rod of every liberal in the fucking country to come and show up. And I just, I don't get it. 
I mean, we're literally, based on the description, it sounds like we're paying him to be everybody's best friend, to be on campus as there. And I appreciate the contributions he's made to the university, but I don't understand what the value is that he would bring versus, say, someone maybe with a little less of a checkered pass. Now, again, Scott Frost is welcome to hire whoever the heck he wants. The guy has been successful where he has gone and whatever. Um, and I'm, it, it's his decision and so forth. But I, I don't understand the university's decision to allow this to go forward. Um, and now I'm sure that there's a plan in the background. But it's on the surface, it's a really bad look when you look at the current environment. That's, I mean, it's, I'm going to get burned for this. And thank you. But it's it's rough. I, I I don't understand it. I don't see what Ron Brown in 2018 is going to bring to the team that you know he was. I'm sure he was wonderful 20 years ago when he when he was there when Scott Frost was there. But and I'm sure he's a wonderful guy to talk to. But what what is he going to accomplish in one memorial that he couldn't accomplish as the lit um, head of the Fellowship for Christian Athletes in Nebraska. Haas, your turn. Yeah, you know, basically I'm trying to find the right way to say this because I like Ron Brown as a coach. I think from the mentorship standpoint, I think he serves a purpose in terms of being director of player development. But the big thing that I get back to is the fact that sometimes, well, especially with this kind of hire, it smacks of kind of just bringing back the old guard and um, trying to recreate Camelot. You know, I made that reference earlier a little bit, and which is fine and well, but at the same time, like, show me recreating Camelot with wins and championships not by placing former you know prominent figures from this program's history back in to the program so i'm admittedly and this is no slight towards scott frost and his coaching acumen which i think is in the top five in the country i'm just in a show me mode so naturally when i see a hire like this made i'm kind of going you know i just you know don't Tell me you're recreating Camelot by bringing people back. Show me. Show me on the field. You know, as far as I'm concerned with this, I'm from Missouri. Show me. That's it. Well, the other thing on that is you've got, well, you've got fans that are confused, seemingly confused, right? Because they think like he's going to come back and he's going to instill. Now, let's be clear. Like, his running backs and whatnot under Pelini were amazingly physical. There's no, you can't say that they weren't. They were really, really good at blocking and running through the guy across from him. He's a very, very good coach, but I think people are missing the fact that he's not coaching. He's going to be sitting in an office, and when the players have a bad day, his job is literally to be like, it's okay, tomorrow will be better. That's his job. His job is when they have a problem at night, when they're like their girlfriend or whatever is making them annoyed and they need someone to talk to. That's his job is literally to pick up the phone and be like, it's okay. 
to get them to not do stuff that they shouldn't do or to walk them through like the little difficulties of life. And I think Which John I think Brown is really well suited for that role. He's perfect mm-hmm. for the role. And that's what FCA is really about. But my problem is is that we're paying this guy a whole lot of money for what will effectively be a prepayment on headaches if he doesn't keep his, you know, personal beliefs out of his work and it doesn't bleed into his day-to-day activities. Now, the biggest issue I see for coming is that when he was at Youngstown State and he followed Polini there in um, 2015, he was there for three months and he left less than a month after he was asked by the student body. Now, granted, it might have only been one student organization or whatever, but he was basically asked to attend sensitivity training for um, uh, marginalized portions of the student population. And he left less than a month after that to go to Liberty, which is a evangelical private school. Mm-hmm. And it's, Notre Dame of evangelical it's, it's really, really hard to look at that and not see it for what it is, is that he basically said, there is no way I could continue doing what I want to do at Youngstown State. So I'm going to go to a school that's going to embrace what I want, to, like the worldview that I hold, which is fine. Everybody should be entitled to, you know, live the life they want to live. But the problem is, is that he's coming back to a state institution, and I don't think he's bringing a broader worldview back with him. And I'm... I, 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 I'm worried that the university is going to have to put up with stuff and Scott Frost and the staff and this team is going to have to put up with stuff that they really didn't need to. There was, there was no desperate need to fill the personal player personnel position with Ron Brown. It could have literally been anyone. It could have been a player that graduated last year who didn't find a job in the NFL could have filled that position. It's literally their job is to be there to make sure that the players don't go off the rails. And I'm just, I, I don't understand why the university would invite that kind of lightning rod into its house, considering the year that it's had. Um, and it just, now if the athletic department feels that they're, they can somehow insulate the rest of the university from Ron Brown and any possible issues that might crop up, fine. But I'm not confident the university is prepared for that based on their experiences in the last year. And it just it just screams of the same issues that have been going on for years. If you go back to, say, I don't know, when Osborne was there and he announced the East Stadium expansion the same day as the Ag College had to announce massive cuts. Like, it just seems like the left hand of the university and the right hand of the university are talking past each other or not even talking. And it's just when you have this administration come in and claim that they have this unity of goals, you don't see it. You just, you just don't see it. And it seems like Nebraska just refuses to embrace that we live in the 21st century rather than, you know, it just seems like they're stuck in this idea that they can get back to the nineties. And it's like, we should not be trying to get back to the nineties. We should be trying to embrace the fact that we are Nebraska and go into my, the modern era like that like, like even alabama reinvents itself and we're sitting here and we can't seem to get past hiring people from the 1990s like 
Alabama goes out and they have to hire like five new people every year and somehow they still manage to stay fine. And Nebraska can't seem to go more than 10 minutes without needing to hire somebody from the 1990s and it's not really working. Well, I did. To, uh, to paraphrase our dear friend uh, Tweety from the Big Red Cobcast, Alabama's doing it because they have bagmen. So. Well, yeah, sure, but, you know, the entire SEC has it. But sure. that doesn't – I mean, that's Nebraska's choice because, quite frankly, I mean, I think we can see that the NCAA is, you know, it's really proactive about pursuing bagmen. But, um, I mean, that's – that doesn't really change the fact that Nebraska seems dedicated to trying to reinvent, like they're trying to re-resurrect Osborne and it's just, and this, this era. And it's just like, I don't know. It seems like we're missing the point. Like Osborne wasn't Osborne because it was the 1990s. Osborne was Osborne because the guy was just really, really good at his job. And his staff was really, really good at his their job, and everything just came and worked. But it seems like we're just trying to short circuit and just be like, "Well, what what were we doing in the '90s?" And it's like it's not the '90s anymore; it's 20 years later. No, I, I see what you're saying. It, 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 as far as Osborne and, and everything, it just so happened that it took place in the '90s, but it had nothing to do with grunge music and and uh, you know. It, the, the downfall of MTV and, and anything else. It was just because the pieces fell into place at that time. It just so happened to be the nineties. Now, uh, in regards to, uh, Ron Brown salt, you know, piggybacking on what you were saying and you know, what I, I think is supposed to be there in society anyway. Uh, not, not so much checks and balances, but the separation of church and state. If he can, you know, have his ministry and do that separate from the university or separate from the football program, then, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, then, you know, that's fine. It, it, as long as he's able, am I, am I? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Like, so just want to make sure Frost, that I was not, I, we know I, that Scott Frost, we know that Tom Osborne, these guys are very religious people. Troy Walters is a huge guy into FCA. Like this whole staff, quite frankly, seems to be very, I mean, out of a better word, they seem to be very religious, okay? They all seem to embrace it, which is fine. And quite frankly, for Nebraska, I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think the majority of people in Nebraska identify with some religion, um, probably majority Christian. The thing of it is, is that you have to really appreciate and understand that, for one, again, it's a state public institution, and you cannot go around pushing religion it's just legally that's not okay now the university cannot stop you from being religious but that's between that's you know between between the hours of nine and five or whatever that your contract stipulates you are the university's employee and you're not supposed to be sitting there proletizing to everybody that you see about you know your religion um so between the hours of nine and five the university has has control over that aspect of your life. Basically it's, you are not allowed to push yourself onto other people and the university is not allowed to push itself onto you. Now, if you find like-minded people while you're at work, you can have that conversation, but you can't have that conversation with somebody else. Um, as a grad student and as a professional, for me, 
we go through training where we are literally told, especially for like if we are interviewing new people, you cannot bring up religion because it is such a personal thing. It is such a personal thing. And I just, it's, it's the thing with Ron Brown and the thing that frustrates me is that he's unapologetic about his stance on it. And quite frankly, I'm okay with Ron Brown being unapologetic about it because that's who he is. And, you know, if you have something like this, if you have religion like that, more power to you. Because, quite frankly, that's, you know, it makes you happy. And in a, an individual person, whatever makes you happy, you got to embrace it. But when your job is literally to interact with the student community where you don't know what each of them is carrying around in their head, it's such a dangerous thing to be introducing to them. Basically, this man who has been unapologetic about the idea that he thinks that it's okay for him to present himself to these people. And, I mean, I appreciate that he has made an effort to roll that back, at least in his public speaking, which is good. He does go, when he does go out to give a talk, he doesn't, you know, present himself as the football coach of this particular university. It's, he's a football coach, which, quite frankly, that's what he is. But he makes sure that it's clear that when he's talking, he's not representing that university. But he's also been on the record saying that when he interacts with his players, and I think even some of his comments from when he, after he got hired on Wednesday and talking to the media and when they would ask him these questions, I don't think, I think some of his comments, I don't, I, it's hard to tell if they're from before when he was at Nebraska previously or if they're from like a recent comment from Wednesday. But I don't know. It, he basically said that if he felt that a player was living and then he, he doesn't, it's not about homosexuality or anything like that. It's even like premarital sex and things like that. Like that he says that he will offer them, you know, his particular um, religious views on it um, and suggest that, you know, this is God's view and all this stuff. And it just, it, it, it seems like it's crossing a line that I don't think the university should be engaging in. But again, I mean, there's lawyers and I'm sure this has been talked about. So yeah, it's, it's a questionable decision, and I, I'm worried it's going to come back and bite the university in the ass. But, you know, Ron Brown, he made it however many years under Pliny, and that was the only one incident that he ever had. And then there was the Penn State prayer, which everybody seemed to embrace. But again, that was a very, very, very special situation, which what do you do in that situation, right? You've got this horrible, horrible situation happening at a school. And now everybody's saying, well, we have to play this football game. And it's like, oh, do we really need to play this football game? So it's, I don't know. It's complicated. And we'll see how it works out. And hopefully we never hear about Ron Brown again, except in positive situations. And I hope that he and the players can, you know, raise each other and, that the program raises itself, but it's just such a weird, weird, almost like a self-goal for the university because why? Like, why invite that controversy? Like, this is, Nebraska is not ESPN. We're not 
embracing we should not embrace the controversy we're trying to rebuild and fix a program that has been managed horribly for however many years depending on your personal preference like we've been making mistakes for how long and then we just go out and we do things like this which yeah on the surface it seems like a great move the guy seems like a good guy but now you're just inviting people to be like hey you know this seems weird and in today's environment ah, i don't it it doesn't make sense doesn't make sense well let's let's move on yeah let, let's put uh round brown to bed uh yeah. not not literally he's, uh figuratively no, i mean he's he's probably gonna you're never gonna hear about him and people are gonna attack us for this podcast or attack me for this podcast for years and whatnot but you know what i hope i hope that people can attack me for it because quite frankly i don't trust the university um and yeah Let's let's move on. So, and if I cut all this, that would be fun. What's that? <laughs> edit? What? We don't edit. <laughs> we don't have time to edit. No, um, we we don't. Hey, if we if we aired the podcast in its raw form after the Minnesota debacle, we don't edit anything. <laughs> yeah, I when, shed tears, not literally, but just you know. You when, know. when Hoss was at his most emotional, his most distraught. Um, so because we're ill-prepared as always, uh, we still don't have any, you know, cool music to let people know this is the beginning of the cross-examination. Um, Salt, what's your favorite song? (laughs) What's your favorite song? Favorite song all time. You're asking the worst person. All right. Favorite, favorite song that people know. Favorite TV theme song. Favorite TV theme song? Golden Girls, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, I, you know, I, I, now don't laugh, but Salt, you, he, he strikes me as a, uh, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. Never well, seen that show. Man. I'm wow. sure my wife has, but I've I well, never seen that show. Showed my age, didn't I? Yep. <laughs> Just a oh, little bit, go. man. Jimmy <laughs> Christmas. Like, I'm over 30, but come on. I'm just up. Don't judge me. <laughs> oh, judging you. <laughs> That's Honestly. fine. Okay, how uh, about Cheers? We'll, we'll have the Cheers theme song. There you go. Cheers theme. Uh, that drinking. sounds great to me. I, that, I that's like Cheers. Fine. Cheers is fun. I, if it wasn't going to be Cheers, it was going to be MASH, I have a feeling. Yep, that would also be on the list. I like MASH. And, uh, you know, for, for the new age kids, I, I'll tell you what, it, it, it never gets old. The Game of Thrones theme song. Nah. I've never watched a single episode of that show. You're missing out. It's boobs. I and couldn't blood. even read the books. I can't read the books. I mean, Martin I can. Is, I can read. He's an absolutely terrible writer. <laughs> they are very wordy. I can't read the books, but the shows are entertaining. So, uh, Hoss, two words: boobs and blood. Not necessarily together, but sometimes. Oh. Anyway, um, I, I thought you were about to drop this under further to start the prosecution. <laughs> what? All right, uh, we're going to you put you place your left hand on the Bible and uh, raise your right hand. Okay, so I just rose my right hand because I'm, you know, suggestible. All right, are you ready, uh, senior associate Greg? I'm ready, uh, junior partner right, Hoss. Are you a Nebraska native? Oh no, not in the slightest. 
I was born in Virginia, and then I moved to California, and then I moved back to Virginia, and then at some point the military decided to send a Navy man to Nebraska, so then I moved to Nebraska. A lot of oceans in Nebraska. Um, I had an uncle that sent us a map where he had modified it slightly to give us the Bay of Omaha. Um, <laughs> so did, to, like, to make car, did Council Bluffs like disappear? And, like, I don't know. I haven't. I've never really looked at the map because um, I didn't find it funny at the time. I had to convince people that I was moving someplace that had electricity, and that was that was a lot of work to start with. They think we were fighting Indians too. No, that wasn't part of it. They they're they're pretty sure that with that that war was over, but they're pretty sure we had no, that Nebraska had no electricity or indoor plumbing. Well, you know, last night woke up about three thirty, had to go to the outhouse. It was horrible. You know, a lot of bugs out. You know, was, I don't know when we're gonna get indoor plumbing out in God's country. Hopefully soon. Um, I, I just want to put my my two cents That's in amazing. here. Amazing. When I lived in Shadron, uh, we had both indoor plumbing and electricity, but we also had tumbleweeds. That's not a lie. I mean, I've seen a few in my day. I have. Tumbleweeds don't actually affect electricity or plumbing, so you know. No, but I mean, you think of you think of the West, you know, and, and the the un <laughs> the untamed West, and and there's always that. Uh, uh, you know, cliched tumbleweed going across the desert, and that's kind of what it was, except less desert. So, so all right, salt. But because you're not a Nebraska native, I'm just gonna assume that you're not a lifelong Husker fan. Am I right there? That would, that would be correct. My earliest right, so, college football memory is um, cheering for Navy football against Army. Okay, and that's pretty much it until I until about. I moved to Nebraska. So, so what was the catalyst? Well, I moved to Nebraska, and then um, I graduated from high school in, what, 2006? Wish. Um, that was a long time ago. Um, graduated from high school, and I had to pick a school, and um, I was planning to go pre-vet. Um, I was going to go become a veterinarian. Um, wasn't quite sure what kind of veterinarian, but I was going to become a veterinarian and um, ended up picking Nebraska for my undergraduate because they had a program. I think at the time it was with K-State, and then they transitioned to Iowa State while I was there. Uh, and so I picked Nebraska. And then, yeah, I got introduced to Nebraska football under Bill Callahan. <laughs> That's a rough time to uh, uh, get that introduction. Well, I was know, just a heavy I mean, in the soldier. era. Some, some people may slightly um, feel that may inform my um, particularly cynical views on Nebraska football, but you know what? 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 You can definitely, assuredly say is that you didn't jump on the bandwagon in the in the heyday nineties. Oh no, no, no! I didn't know. I um, I honestly did not know Nebraska football was a thing until I moved to Nebraska, and then I was like, why do people care so much about this football coach that got fired, and they're trying to, why is it taking so long to hire a football, like, I did not understand what was happening when we were trying to hire Callahan. Well, I should say, when we were trying to not, we were trying to hire anyone, and then ended up with Callahan. I was like, I don't, why is this football program having such a hard time hiring a coach? 
And slightly after that is about when I started to learn about, you know, all of the history of Nebraska football, which really did not go far towards making me feel really confident about the um, leadership at the university. But, you know, so what still ended up going there. Kind of jaded from the jump. Yeah, basically. What well, was, you know, I'm someone who I, I started following Husker football, went to my first game two weeks before Penn State housed us 40-7 to in 2002. So uh, I've had a pretty rough baptism into being a Husker fan as well, so I'm right there with you, Salt. Well, I started with the, what was it, 2005? We didn't do too bad in 2005. Eight and four. Yeah. Um, and then 2006 was really good. That was my first year in, or in undergrad. That wasn't too bad. And you were hooked ever since. And then the next year happened. Yeah. What? I was yeah. I I had the flu for the Oklahoma State game, and it was the best flu I've ever had. Uh, that was probably preferable <laughs> compared to Kendall Hunter. I was just like in Nebraska. In my room. I was sitting there in the room watching the game on my on our TV, and I was like, I am so glad I'm in the room right now because it was cold, it was miserable, like it was raining, if I remember right. It was just horrible weather that day. The game, obviously, was a little bad. Um, and I just was like sitting there and in my bed going, this is okay, life is fine because I'm not dying outside. Man. What was... That dark days. What was that one event or moment that that galvanized you as a Husker fan was it just enrolling in the university and and kind of soaking it all in or was there something that happened before that or um it was yeah no it was pretty much enrolling at the university um I was I mean I I I was aware of things because I was around for that well I was aware of things for that 2004 season and then a little bit more aware for 2005 um because I was, I think at that point I decided I was going to Nebraska, so I was following football a little bit. And then I got on campus, and I had tickets and everything, and we did quite well in 2006 and whatnot. So it was, you know, it was a good season to like come in and get, I guess, what inoculated more or less um, into into the system. Um, and then, yeah, basically after that, you, you know, and then you go into 2007 and we're going into that USC game and everybody's really excited. And then that was just a rough day. Yes. You know, because you started off, right. We started off, we had the broke, it was the, the, the broken punt or whatever play that, and we scored off it, if I remember right. And yep. everything you were like, everything's going great. This is going to be fantastic. We're in, we're really going to get this today. And then things went off the wheel immediately after that. And I'm pretty sure we ended up turning off. Like we were watching the game in uh, Nyhart, the Nyhart Residence Hall, and I'm pretty sure we ended up turning off the game, or at least a majority of us ended up leaving the room because we decided we had better things to do with our day. Because <laughs> it was just it got it went from bad to worse and even worse. And you're just like I. I'm going to go watch this game in my room or find something else to do because I don't want to be around human beings right now. Um, and then, yeah, then you followed up that with the rest of the 2007 season. And it was just by then you're just kind of going, so who are we going to hire? And then we hired Pliny. And I remember everybody's really excited about that. Yeah. I remember that was, the, those the, were the days. there were posters, you know, around. In fact, I remember I, I took my wife to 
Shattering to visit some friends in the fall of 2008. And on our way back, we stopped at a Valentino's, obviously, uh, in eastern Nebraska. And they were either giving away or, uh, you know, for a, a buck or two, you could buy a poster. So I bought a poster, a Husker poster, you know, with Polini, and it said, I think, restore the order on it. Yep. You know, things like that. I'm like, that's what the student t shirts were. And I that, think I still have it. That did not, uh, the order, I, I can say, did not get restored, in my opinion. It got stabilized. Stabilized, yeah. I mean, yeah. Triaged. Yeah, basically. I mean, it got got removed from the ICU. Yeah, yeah. It got removed from the ICU and and taken, you know, and put on the med surge floor, but it never got to go home. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, good craziness. Um, And we're going to talk about former coaches here uh, in a few minutes. Um, But we mentioned... Uh, you know, and, and you talked about you know your your plans when you enrolled at uh, the University of Nebraska for your undergrad, um, and we mentioned it at the top of the show uh, by calling you Doctor. So, uh, are you because we're using code names and not real names here? Are you at liberty to discuss your actual occupation uh, and like what 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 you do for a living? Oh yeah, absolutely, I can. I'm not in the military. No. <laughs> so um, I'm a microbiologist, um, and my soon-to-be job, I will be basically studying, um, well, working to manipulate um, some bacteria to effectively make uh, uh, some chemicals that we can use to make bioplastics, which bioplastics are essentially the same thing as plastics that we use now, but they are... Um, naturally biodegradable so they will actually degrade in the environment as it goes to as opposed to petroleum plastics which will also degrade eventually at some point in the near you know um, couple centuries whereas bioplastics will degrade within um, a much shorter um, span of time I'm not quite sure because I haven't read up too much on it but it's a significantly shorter amount of time Um, and so the project that I'm going to be Heading up will be for modifying this uh, organism to do that. Yeah, we've seen in in regards to that. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly where I've seen it, but it's um, on TV or internet or something. But it's it's you know like essentially a plastic grocery bag, but you know like unlike so many others that you know are floating in the ocean, this one will break down. And become, uh, you know, environmentally safe or friendly or something like that. So that's the kind of stuff that, if I'm understanding some of the basics of of what you're you're going to be working on, that's kind of you know things like that that are that's, you know that's be- uh yeah that's like the long term goal of what I'm going to be working on. So really, what I'm working, what my main the main project goal of the lab that I'm joining in is developing systems for manipulating the DNA of bacteria to do if effectively whatever we want it to do. Um, but with the group that I'm joining, their goal is effectively to um, compel an organism to um, generate a product that we want them to generate from something that we give them. And in this case, 
um, the organism I'm going to be manipulating, we want to effectively give them the same stuff that we give, or we want to be able to put it into um, a fermenter with other organisms, um, and it can use products from those organisms to make these chemicals, and then you can separate the products of the two organisms. Um, so one organism might be making like biofuels, and then there will be my organism will make this other product, and then you can separate those two products, and so now you get two chemicals out of the same um, starting material, which is usually plant material. Um, so yeah, so if effectively I'm trying to, or the group that I'm working with is trying to make systems for helping generate organisms that can make things that help us. Um, because, you know, we spend all this time, we read about Salmonella and E. coli and all these organisms um, that make us sick, and you almost never hear about the organisms that have a potential to make the world a better place. Um, and so that's effectively what I'm going to go be working in is um, trying to engineer organisms that are, you know, there to help the world, make, make the world a better place, um, but are probably small and not cute looking and everything else, so... Nobody really wants to read about them. Also, they don't kill you, so definitely nobody wants to read about them. Can they block a nose guard? <laughs> I mean, they can. If they, if you drink enough of it, it'll kill you. But Perfect. You drink enough water, it'll kill you, too. So you know. That's what they say. <laughs> I'll take the chances. I, I'm in the water industry. Let's not kill my job. All right. I love water. I'll, I'll bring water. you some, Hoss. Aquafina? No. Oh, no. Jeez. Goodness gracious. Have some standards, Haas. Man. I was raised on well water. I love all water. Raised on well like water and right next to the outhouse. Yeah. yeah. I, I was raised in Virginia where our water was three feet underground and you didn't drink it because it was full of iron and dirt. <laughs> good for you. Put some hair on your chest. Not, not, not as good as you'd think. Because, you know, so um, microbes really, really like iron. So drinking iron water is pretty much asking yourself to get something. Well, we that's don't want why that. You're a, that's why you're a doctor and I'm just a, uh offensive line coach in training. To be clear, I'm not, you know, my, my expertise is in modifying organisms. Not, I, I would never claim to be a uh, pathogenist. A pathogenic <laughs> organism uh, expert. In fact, the last time I worked with a pathogenic organism was when I was at Nebraska, and even then, it was extremely like weakened organisms. So, I haven't. I, I have literally almost no experience working with organisms that can make you sick. Because, quite frankly, I'm just like, why would I go to work and try and kill myself? Because that just, I'm. I'm clearly. I decided at some point that I wanted to go into pursuits of the mind, so why would I go into something that could effectively kill myself when I, if I, that was my goal, I could have been paid a lot more to go and do other jobs that would kill myself much faster. <laughs> really. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of not death, so exactly. uh, I'm glad you are in, in the role in the, in the uh, uh, career that you are, uh, that you have chosen at this time. Haas, uh, we, would you mind uh, uh, firing our next uh, question at, at our? All right. 
Who's your favorite all-time player, Salt? Oh, man. I only have, what, 13, 14 years worth of years to pick from. <laughs> hmm. This is going to surprise you, but I got to go with Taylor Martinez. You, you know, it's <laughs> not a... Shit. We have a lot of Taylor Martinez's. He, God, it's a as, cult of as personality. Well... Mm, mm. He gave Zaire Anderson. Zaire Anderson gave me a lot of joy because he was just really, really good as a linebacker. Yeah. But Taylor Martinez was just, you know, it's it's probably really just that really cynical part of me as far as football goes. But basically, this was a player who was really, really athletic. Right? He is a player who was being put in a position which, what? Pretty much 90% of the people recruiting him were not recruiting him for. Um, I think it was Nebraska and, like, one other school were like, oh, yeah, sure, you can play quarterback. Um, everybody else is like, you should really be a safety or, you know, something else where your speed actually matters. Um, and so and then you have Nebraska. And, you know, like, if he doesn't get injured that freshman year, like, just think we're and if he doesn't get injured his senior year well at least re-injured his senior year like just think about what he could have like the things that he could have done to college football like you saw what Johnny Manziel did and Johnny Manziel had nothing speed wise on Martinez so you're just kind of like you really can appreciate this guy because he was just this you know he put the team on his back like Tommy Armstrong he was a warrior too but Taylor Martinez didn't really, like, he wasn't put in a position to succeed, I don't think, by his coaches, and he still did. Like, by the time they got to Armstrong, they knew what they had, and they could put an offense for Armstrong in until he got to Riley, and then everything went to crap. But with Martinez, it was like a learning curve for the coaches and for Taylor. And it's just like, if he had had, you know, what his last year, if he had had Beck, like, you know, had that idea and mindset for things, his first year is just like, what could he have accomplished? And it's just his whole career. You're just kind of like, this is a guy that you're just like, you can't help but root for because he's just so not what you expect out of a, a college quarterback. Nothing about him made you go, oh, yeah, that's a college quarterback. No, he was a guy that was really fast, who had really amazing, like, his zone read, like, sleight of hand was incredible. Just absolutely incredible. Even if he was a, a step slower after his injury, his sleight of hand made up for it. And it was just, it was amazing to watch when it worked. Now, it was heart hurting to watch him when it didn't work yep. or to basically watch him pretty much the whole time because you never knew when it was going to work and when it wasn't. But it's, I don't know. It's maybe because I'm a grad student and my entire career was based off of the, the premise of I'm going to have like five things that are going to work for me and everything else is going to be garbage. That Taylor Martinez is basically the PhD project of quarterbacks. Um, but it, he was just that much more it was I enjoyed watching Taylor Martinez and then when we transitioned to Armstrong I don't know it just 
maybe it was just um, fatigue of watching a Pelini coach team or whatever, but it just wasn't as enjoyable because at that point you expected Beck to figure out how to run a spread offense. But with Martinez, it was very much you were learning as you went along. And he was just enjoyable the whole time until he got injured and couldn't play. And you had to watch them try to figure out what do we do now? Because apparently nobody had a plan for, hey, what happens if our QB1 goes down? You know, I would think that would be like meeting number one in the spring. But, you know, I'm not a college football coach. Um, But, yeah, I just, yeah, he was, he's probably, probably far. And, I mean, also there's just the part that, he was the most successful quarterback that I got to watch while I was at Nebraska as a student. Um, now, I did enjoy watching Joe Gans, but only watched him, you know, we only saw him for one year as a successful quarterback because I also watched him as an unsuccessful quarterback when he had to take over for Keller. Um, for my, and I think his first game, if I remember right, um, at least his first away game was the Kansas game that we got schlacked in. And I got to watch him trying to look over the back of his offensive line. Now, Gans is not exactly a, stall, a tall guy. And you're sitting there watching this guy who's a very a somewhat mobile quarterback trying to run around behind his offensive line. And he literally, like, I'm sitting up in the stands and I couldn't see past his offensive line for him um, to see where his wide receivers were. And that, like, his job, he had to do, like, five to seven step back just to see where his wide receivers were running around. Um, so that was not really enjoyable for me to watch that. So that I think that kind of colored my opinion of Joe Gans. Um, but yeah, I think I, I have to say, I think Joe or, uh, Taylor Martinez has been probably the most enjoyable, um, player to watch, even if he was, you know, sometimes like made you go, why are you doing these things? For a while there, I thought Taylor Martinez was going to be the reason that I got placed on high blood pressure medication. <laughs> I mean, I assumed he was going to be the reason for half the state, you know, going into cardiac arrest. So yeah, I mean, one of my favorite moments was when he housed that 92-yard touchdown run against UCLA in 2012 and let out a nice Ric Flair woo at the end of it as he was out running Anthony Barr. But uh, yeah, Taylor Martinez, you know, maybe time will be more kind to him. From yeah, my no, perspective, I, but. I, I hope so because, quite frankly, at least in the last twenty years, I think he's by far the best quarterback we've ever had. And you Jamal know, Lord, dis- boy. I mean, sure, fine. Um, I, okay, so obviously, <laughs> I have this shame. is showing my this is showing my you know lack of awareness of anything from before two thousand four. Um, <clears throat> but like, yeah, like he's just. There's there has been no quarterback since him that's been as exciting, and I mean I can't speak to Jamal Lord or Eric Crouch, which I'm sure they were both you know exciting at the time or whatever. But can you really say that you were as excited watching? I mean maybe you can't. Um, but for me, if you look at my window, which is 2004 to now, is there any other quarterback in that window that you would say reasonably and excitingly? is as exciting as Taylor Martinez in that window? And the answer is no. Oh, and if man. we're all Andrew honest, the second and half if we're honest, State quarterbacking, quarterbacking like, exactly. like quarterbacking at Nebraska is by far the most interesting position because, you know, our running backs are usually really good, right? 
And unless you're you're really into offensive line or defensive line, for the most part, you ignore them. Um, and then you get on the defense, and for the most part, you never really go, oh, yeah, this is my favorite player. Like, Sue was great, sure. But why would I say that? Because everybody, you know, it's, that's the default answer. Um, but other than that, like, you know, everything comes back to the quarterback. And in the last umpty squat years, there, there hasn't been anyone – on that level. Now, hopefully Frost can bring somebody in at that, maybe Adrian Martinez, maybe he can turn Tristan Gebbia into that, like whatever. But at this point in time, I can say, I think that Taylor Martinez, definitely, definitely the most exciting and entertaining and enjoyable player that I've watched as polarizing and, and as frustrating as he could be as a player. Okay, so going from your favorite Husker player, if you had to pick in your 12-ish years of being a Husker fan, what would you say is your favorite Husker sports moment? Oh, um, what was the Henry kick? Is that 2008 Colorado? Oh, wait, yep. Yeah, that. So I was in because I was a student. I was in the game. Um, I was there with my my dad um, and one of my uh, my best friends. We were watching that game, and there there is nothing like Sue scoring the touchdown a second later. You know whatever, but that Henry kick was by far the most electrifying moment I've ever felt. Now, uh, and it's like there's nothing that's come close to that. Well, except for. The one second, um, uh, that that one second where we thought that we had won the Big Twelve. It was actually eighty nine seconds officially that we celebrated as Big Twelve champions. Yeah, um, that whatever. <laughs> Other okay. than that period of time, nothing has ever come close to that feeling, and that was yeah. And that feeling didn't have to go away because we followed that up with the Dominican Sioux running over um, Cody Hawkins. Um, I, I have that photo somewhere in my house. Um, but, yeah, no. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no moment in my Nebraska fandom of such short time um, that remotely comes close to that, that moment. And it's just – and I think it's only because I was in the stadium. I – because of who I am and because of how I, like, I don't really consume sports maybe as vividly and as rapidly as other people. Um, if I had not been in that stadium, it would not, I have been like, okay, so we, like, barely beat Colorado. Why are we excited about this? We'll get to, you know, um, rivalries in a moment. <laughs> um, but because I was in that stadium, like, you could, it was the most impressive part of it was is that because, you know, we don't have the TVs, right? We don't have anybody telling us it was good. You heard the the stadium, like, it was a wave, but it was a wave of cheering because it spread from that end of the stadium to the other end because I was on the opposite end of the stadium. I was in East. And you just heard people just starting to celebrate. And it was just this organic wave through the whole stadium. And it was just... It's just such a like visceral moment of you just that pure joy of hitting that field goal. 
and then to follow that up with Sue running over Cody Hawkins is just like that. It was like that's just you know the universe is just being too nice right now. So yeah, that's it. That's a that's that's a little bit more. Um, I don't know if understated is the right word, but that's that's not one that we've come across in our cross examination. You know, all summer long, it's usually um, you know a, a championship or. Uh, you know something, something. Not not I, to not not to disparage your your memory. I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's, no, it's no, great no. fun. I mean, but you know something a little bit more monumental. Uh, but yeah. but that but that's a good that's a good pick there. It's one that uh, um, you know I'm I'm glad you brought up because I think you know from time to time when we get you know thinking about Husker memories and Husker moments that that one kind of gets gets passed up a little bit. So so uh, I I particularly like that memory that that was. I remember watching that game. That was a fun game, and that was a fun uh, uh, chain of events that that unfolded in a few moments there. So, good one. Yeah. Hoss. All righty. Nice one. Of course. Running through. Rocky Mountain wheat and water. (laughs) All righty. Which payoff that you wish would have been most? Successful, Callahan, <laughs> my man. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So, and the only reason I say that is because, again, getting back to my idea that Nebraska needs to be able to understand that it can be Nebraska without having to lean so heavy on its past. Now, Callahan had his faults, and he definitely like holding on to Cosgrove or just the fact that he really never seemed to embrace college as a game. And I honestly think that, uh, you know, I think he would have meant, I I think Lovey Smith at some point is going to realize he hates college um, and he's going to bail on Illinois. And I think Callahan would have done the same thing to Nebraska, but I think given the time he would have been there long enough to rehabilitate himself as a football coach um, for the NFL to come back calling but I also don't think he would have been below or beneath himself to leave Nebraska to go take a coordinator job in the NFL. Now, but as far as Nebraska goes, I think that, you know, the fact that Callahan failed has really kind of set a weird, like, um, I don't know, timeline or something for it. Like that it, came this idea that, you know, this is the only way that we can ever win. And then to follow that up with, you know, Pliny kind of sort of trying to get back to, you know, um, how Nebraska was, but not really. But he seemed to identify more with the Midwest mentality. And then to follow that up with Mike Riley and that debacle and disaster of effectively lawyers um, trying to run football, you know, it just seems like a lost opportunity for Nebraska. And it all comes down to basically Callahan took the job that was available um, after he got dumped um, by the chargers. And I, I think if he had really taken and embraced the opportunity, I think he could have succeeded immensely at Nebraska, but I don't think he ever really took to that opportunity, which is why I think he failed. As opposed to with Riley, I don't think he was ever going to be in a position to succeed, even if he was running an offense that maybe makes a bunch of people have high blood pressure. Um, 
like I think there is a lot of administrative challenges for Riley that I don't think were there for Callahan as much as people like to say. I think Peterson clearly had some issues. Um, but quite frankly, by the time Peterson left, Nebraska money-wise was in a fantastic position um, and then did nothing with it for four or seven years. Um, but for Callahan coming in when he did, there was an opportunity there, and I don't think he took it. And I think that's a real shame because I think he could have done a lot at Nebraska if he had really embraced the college game instead of just seeing it as an opportunity to collect more or less what it looked like to collect a paycheck and to um, rehabilitate his image for four years or whatever. Especially Um, in terms of the recruiting apparatus that he had built. Like it was incredible. Like the, the machinery that was there was just insane. And we can see that from Polini's first couple of years. And it's just like, and if you just had a, you know, five, six years of that, like he would clearly have, especially if you look at where the big 12 was at the time, like, yeah, we were quite a bit behind Oklahoma and uh, Stoops. Sure. But we would have caught up under with that Callahan's machinery just by pure, just, I mean, you look at Alabama, right? Like, they can just recycle their roster every year with better talent, better talent, better talent. Callahan was starting from Solage's roster, which was okay. It was oh, fine. It I was say okay. Well, it was it was fine enough for the middle of the Big 12, right? So he had to start from the middle of the Big 12. And in order to anywhere approach Oklahoma levels, you have to recycle that roster. And that's going to take a few years. Um, it's going to take... You know, back then it was going to take four to five years to recycle the roster because of, you know, the restrictions and just how everything was. Um, And I think nowadays I think you can do it a little bit faster because they've relaxed the rules a little bit. But effectively what you're looking at is for any coach coming in, you've got this period of time that you have to come in to resurrect and fix a roster. And he was coming into a roster built around Osborne's offense, but Osborne's offense from – the nineties and we're now in, you know, we're in the mid two thousands at that point. So you're like, well, there's an issue there because everything, everybody's moved on. It's been 10 years or whatever, five years, you know, people have, have migrated and moved into the next segment of college football. So, you know, there's that struggle that he has to fight. And just the fact that he's bringing in this offense, which you know, I mean, we've seen the playbook and everything else, and I think it's overstated because I don't believe, as an NFL coach, I know that they don't, like, yes, they have this gigantic playbook, but the playbook for game to game is not that long. It's not no. that big because you've got 60 minutes of football that you've got to plan for. You're not going to take your 22 players and shove them full of 5,000 plays. You're going to sure. go like, 20 plays total. Yes, there's a big playbook, but, you know, it's the West Coast yeah, offense. Yeah. You got the West Coast offense. Majority of the plays are variations of the exact same play. Mm-hmm. It's just a timing route. And so it's, okay, so for this one, you're going to run 12 feet or 12 steps instead of 8 steps or something like that. And it's like, mm, that's not as complicated as you think it like. Yes, on the surface, when you see the playbook, it's ginormous. It's it's bigger than some of the chemical reference books that I work with. Um, 
which is a little crazy because those are big books and I actually will go through the whole book for that. But for these football players, they're not going through the whole thing. They're getting told, okay, you're going to hit play, you know, these, these 20 plays in the whole book. So here's a smaller binder with those plays in them or something like that. Um, so I think that was a little overstated, but I think his biggest thing was just, he didn't really ever seem comfortable in college and holding on to Cosgrove who, you know, I think Cosgrove kind of held out the fact that the game had passed him by. He was okay at Wisconsin, and then he came to Nebraska, and the the spread and everything, like every single game in the Big 12 versus in the Big 10, where you only saw the spread when you played Purdue and Northwestern and maybe occasionally when Ohio State felt like it. That's three games out of the 10 teams in the Big 10, or I guess what, the it would be three games out of the nine teams that you'd play in the Big Ten or ten teams in the Big Ten. Um, versus you get into the Big 12 and you're playing, effectively, you're playing against some variation of the spread almost every week. Cosgrove wasn't prepared for that and never, ever, ever was going to be because he grew up on the grit and grind in the Big Ten. And Callahan committing himself to that was, that was his biggest mistake as far as um, from a coaching um, perspective, but then just never really seemed to embrace the college game, and that's just really unfortunate because I think he really kind of locked Nebraska out of really engaging in different offensive philosophies because you know the option is great and all, but it's you know it requires a lot, and it's not really a thing that's run a lot in college or in high schools now, and if you don't have that it's really hard to teach that in college, which is why you don't see Navy running out freshman quarterbacks. We've got, uh, I've got I've technically got two questions left for you, but only one qualifies under the cross-examination. Um, how did you start writing for coordination? Um, I think I wrote a really, really um, somewhat to some degree narcissistic post, basically um, – question or like asking why we were so committed to the game and then john asked me to write for the site and then he brought me on to do the cornflakes so i did that for like i think i did that for like a year um and then kind of moved on from there because that kind of more or less seems to be how the site goes we bring you on to write the news for about a year and then you move on to other things on the site (laughs) um but yeah, I was more or less recruited, and I was recruited at the, about the same time that Brian was. Um, so he and I kind of uh, learned about all of the um, SB Nation stuff together and how to write for the site and whatnot, and then he brought a lot of his stuff from what Husker Locker and everything to help us like build out the site a little bit more because pretty much up to that point, it had just been John and Mike and Andy, I think, Sounds about maybe one or, two, one or two other people kind of occasionally haphazardly, but mostly just John and Mike um, tag teaming to write for the site. And then he brought me and um, Brian in and then started bringing some other people in over time um, to help cover the site. Um, especially once um, SB Nation kind of started to consolidate and grow as a, the mothership started to grow and then the network itself started to grow and, so forth and they finally 
you know, they had representation for pretty much almost every college team, at least the Power Five conferences. I know at this point there are over 300 different SB Nation, you know, pages for, you know, the various teams and in, in schools and, you know, pro programs. And there's even some out there for pro wrestling and I think UFC and who knows what else. But, uh, yeah, lots of a uh, lot of options out there. Uh, of course, we're just one small corner of SB Nation. My my last question, uh, Salt, is, is not so much a question as it is uh, more common ground for you and Haas. You both have a particular disdain for a certain inflatable sideline buddy. Oh, <laughs> man. The hard-hitting journalism. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the gotcha journalism. You just really want me to get like destroyed by the Facebook people, don't no, you? No, no. I, I got your I, back, Salt. I, I know it's a it's a hot button issue. Great for the kids, but it's you know it's <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a it's a touchy subject. But I, I... All, all I want to say is, Little Red was introduced in 1993. Okay, has we it been that off, long? We win. We won two or three national titles after Little Red was introduced. We haven't won jack squat since. We we literally must have sold our soul to the devil, and in exchange for selling our soul for those three national titles, we were given Little Red. So the only thing that makes sense is a complete exorcism of Little Red, and we'll <laughs> get back to winning again. I can't wait for like Halloween this year. Little Red's going to come out uh, looking like Linda Blair. And uh, you know, spit some some uh, you know pea soup on people. It's gonna be great. And I'll whoop his ass. <laughs> that uh, golly gee, I think that wraps up our our uh, cross examination. We uh, uh, we we pissed them off coming and going this time around, but that's okay uh, because that just me. Hey, they'll come back and they'll listen next week as well. Uh, it's what they do. Uh, we appreciate everybody who tunes in, uh, whether you listen on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, the Podbean app, or if you listen on coordination.com or jitterymonkey.com, we appreciate you. Make sure that you uh, use those social media links that we have at the bottom of the post. You can follow myself. You can follow Hoss. You can follow Salt. All right there. Uh, just a, a click away. Interact uh, on Facebook. Interact on Twitter. We'd, we'd certainly like to hear from you there. As well, uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast, uh, guys. We didn't rehearse this. Um, we're gonna we're gonna wing it the best we can. Um, Salt, are you aware with you're aware with how we end the podcast, right? Okay, so I'm gonna say a line, and then I need you, Salt, to say "Go Big Red," and then Hoss is going to close it out. All right. All right, it's simple. It's it's, it's easy. We we should have everybody trained. I can we, manage it. We need to have a seminar on this. I think. Um, yes. All right. So for uh, our guest this week, uh, Salt Creek and Stadium, for Hoss Reuter, I am Hooch, aka Greg Mahachko. Nobody really calls me Hooch anymore. I don't know why. Um, but no. we remind you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need. Salt. Go big red. You know, you just got to keep winning the damn off season. Pepsi's the worst. <laughs>
course banquet for life. I like ski. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. <laughs> <laughs>